and um, I wanted to bring just a brief report on that experience. <coughs> if we could have that up here. Uh, Pioneer Bible Translators, your congregation supports missionaries uh, with Pioneer Bible Translators. Norman and Jill Weatherhead, you've been supporting for some time, and they uh, are working in uh, Papua New Guinea. And uh, some years ago, um, <coughs> Bob and Don Baird were associated with Pioneer Bible Translators and their work in Central Africa. So you've uh, got some important connections with uh, this organization, Pioneer Bible Translators. Prayer is the strategy of PBT. And uh, <clears throat> we are now, Pioneer Bible Translators, are now supporting 538 teammates. That's how much it's grown since five or six of them sat at the table in Lincoln Christian Seminary or College, striving to see uh, networks of churches using the scripture to grow, mature, and multiplying among 45.3 million people. They are translating for that many people, speaking 97 different languages in 28 different countries. Total verses translated uh, this uh, last year, they've translated 800,000 verses. Uh, that's many New Testaments. 800,000 verses translated. 250,000 verses translated just this last year, 2019. By 2036, now they had projected by 2050. They bumped that up to 2036. The Bible will be in, some of it will be in every language in the world. Every language in the world will have access to the scripture message by 2036. And Greg, the president of PBT, left us with this scripture, Isaiah 11:9. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Well, uh, it's uh, pretty exciting really, really exciting uh, to be with those missionaries who are doing this, uh, this labor, and you have a part of that. You're connected, and all I can say is uh, keep it up. I like that, uh, all the nations there <clears throat> represented. That's not my sermon, though. Uh, that's just a report. Now I've got to get my sermon up here. Uh, some years ago, a defrocked Roman Catholic priest by the name of Brennan Manning who incidentally is a recovering alcoholic, wrote um, a Thanksgiving tribute. And it's a beautiful uh, thing. I have introduced a few years ago to my family uh, this document. Uh, I'm going to read it for you because it's something that I read to my family right at the Thanksgiving dinner just before we eat our Thanksgiving meal. This is what Brent, uh, Brennan Manick wrote. The grateful heart of the redeemed child of God wakes up every morning and cries out, Abba, Father, thank you for the gift of loving and being loved, for the beauty of the animals of the forest, for the sound of a waterfall, for the darting beauty of the trout in the brook, for the deer leaping across the meadow, for fire and water. Thank you for that beautiful woman striding down the hillside with wind-blown hair. Thank you, Father, for this steaming cup of hot coffee. And thank you for that smile on the face of that little boy licking his chocolate ice cream cone. Thank you for that rainbow after the summer storm. And, Father, I thank you that I wasn't born in the house next door, 
Because if I were, I might never have met Jesus and all the beautiful people who have come into my life through him. Thank you for the four seasons, for this glorious day of sunshine, and above all, thank you for the gift of the unsetting sun, Jesus Christ, who has set me on the road to glory. I think that's a beautiful Thanksgiving statement to which I have only added, oh, that we, you and I, were alert to the presence of God and a piece of music heard over the radio, a daffodil, a thunderstorm, a kiss, a cry of a newborn baby, an encouraging word from a friend, a sunrise, a sunset. This all requires a freedom from self and an ability to stand outside of our own private interests For it is there where we come into the open arena of the marvels of God that arrive before us each day. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.3, I thank God for every remembrance of you. Now I'd like to read the text for this morning. Bear with me as I read this. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencria. I ask you to receive her in the name of the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before, G- before I was. Greet Ampl- uh, Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Trophosa, whose um, woman who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been also a mother to me. Greet Asyncretitis, Phlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, I seriously doubt that the reading of that text sent your heart a flutter. It's a list of names, strange names, not all of them easy to pronounce even. And I would advise, since I have taught a few preaching classes, don't preach from the lists. They're deadly. Now, you be the judge as to whether or not that is really an uplifting and exciting text or not. It's kind of a roll call. Paul seems to be calling roll. You and I have, all of us, at one time or another, set through roll calls. You've ever been in a church that had a roll call? Well, it's usually not very exciting. It can be pretty dull. 
But maybe it could be interesting. How did Paul know those people? He'd never been to that church in Rome. And um, I wonder. You couldn't buy mailing lists back then, telemarketing and IRS lists, and those would come later. But he cared enough for those people that he remembered their names and exactly where they lived and where they went to church. Now, he intends to raise some money in Rome, so he needs to be politically sensitive. And so you hear him uh, basically uh, say, well, now you tell so-and-so hello for me and, uh, and be sure and say hello to so-and-so. Now, some scholars <clears throat> don't think this belongs in, um, <clears throat> uh, belong in Romans since Paul has not been there. And yet he seems to know these people almost firsthand. But it gives a sociological profile of that church, a little bit at least. You may not remember, but there in that list is a husband and a wife, Acryl and Priscilla, a man and his mother, Rufus and his mother, brothers, Andronicus and Junius, a brother and sister, Nereus and his sister, two sisters, Trophina and Trophosa, an old man, Eponidas, a single woman, Mary, a single man, Herodian. Not a lot of nuclear families in that list, only as Christ has called them together into his family. It's kind of an interesting profile of the church. Well, it seems interesting. Well, maybe sort of. Well, maybe not very exciting. But for Paul, it's not a list. So we better not call it just a list. The setting, Paul is in <clears throat> Corinth. He has been hosted there, the church at Corinth. He's getting ready to go west. He wants to go to Italy and Spain. But first, he's going back to Jerusalem. Returning to Jerusalem will endanger his life. His friends have tried to dissuade him from returning to Jerusalem, but he's set on going back there. He's about 60 years old, and he's heading for a new parish. Start a new church there. Start another church in Rome. He feels... He's got one more good ministry left in him. Most churches don't want an old man for a ministry. He's at least 60 years old, but some churches have no choice. If you start your own, as Paul had done, it's uh, job security, so start your own church. It ensures employment. But he wants another ministry. He got started late in life. He probably was 35 before he began his ministry. He doesn't have a lot to pack, a coat, some books. While trimming down his stuff, he comes across some notes and some correspondence, and he sits down among those things, and he begins to remember special memories of folks along the way. There's something about this text that cries out, don't call it a list. I have a page of names etched in my mind as fellow saints in my labors in the Lord. Our first church, Shan and mine, <clears throat> a church in southern Illinois, Brownstown, Illinois. And <clears throat> the first year there, they gave us a quilt. It's a beautiful, big, green quilt. I st we still have it. Every once in a while, we'll pull it out and spread it across the bed. And when we do, I can see the faces of those quilting ladies that met in the <clears throat> basement of the Brownstown Christian Church every Thursday afternoon. I can see the faces of, of Veda and <clears throat> Fern and all the rest of those ladies working 
over that quilt. It's a treasure of memories. And then there was Floyd. Floyd lived right next door to me uh, in the parsonage. He was a mechanic, an older fellow. As a matter of fact, he went back to the Model T's and Model A's. And I'm telling you, he was a mechanic. If it had a motor, he could make it run. And he specialized in straightening, um, actually, uh, wheel balancing and alignment. And there was a a big uh, uh, sign as you came into town, Brownstown, very small town, 500 people. And it was a billboard uh, announcing Odell's scientific wheel balancing and alignment. And he could do it with precision. Now, the word scientific was misspelled on the sign. But he was a crack mechanic. He d- I couldn't get my lawnmower to run one time. He diagnosed it over the telephone and got my, helped me get my lawnmower running. Floyd. Gladys and Homer. First Christmas, Homer said, Now, Tom, you don't need to get a Christmas tree. We've got Christmas trees back there on the back lot. He said, you just go out there before Christmas and you cut one down. You can have any of them that you, can, <clears throat> you can find back there. Jan and I trudged across a muddy field, <clears throat> took our dachshund hound with us and got to those trees while there were three scrawny evergreen trees back there in the back lot. We cut one down. I think Jan looked for everything she could find in the house to disguise and hide the, uh, <clears throat> uh, that ugly, ugly tree. But we fixed it up. But that's Homer and Gladys. And they'd have given you your right arm if you'd needed it. Either one of them. Devout Christian people. And Veda and Floyd. Now, Floyd worked in the oil field. We just had a brand new white carpet, <clears throat> white throw rug in the, in the living room. And Floyd came off the oil field and walked right across that brand new white carpet and left oil tracks right across that brand new. <clears throat> um, but he had a heart about as big as this sanctuary. That was Floyd. You never forget a guy like that. He was a scout leader, very faithful member, board of elders, always, always there. I'll never forget him. And then there was Evie. Evie was a very large lady, but she was the best cook in the whole town. And I can't tell you how many times Jan called her for recipes and how to can corn and how to make a pie. And some of them were edible. She's not here to defend herself. But uh, Evie was a, a wonderful cook, but she was a monotone. And she sang right smack in the front of the church choir, monotone, and she sang loud. But again, she would give you anything she had if you had need. She had a heart big like like uh, Floyd's. And Annie Buchanan. I, and, Annie would listen to uh, Billy... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Graham's sermons every day she'd listen to Billy Graham and I I thought you know he's a great preacher so I I took one of his sermons one Sunday night and I preached a sermon and I preached it in Billy Graham style and and Annie said why brother Tom you sounded just like Billy Graham tonight and I thought oh boy I can't do that again I'll never get by with that but she was a devoted Christian and there was Margin Guy oh Margin Guy their son, 13 years old, had just graduated from the 8th grade. And he'd gone out with spring of the year to help his grandpa begin the spring plowing. 
And the tractor turned over on him, ruptured his spleen. He died on the way to the hospital. My first few months of ministry, and that was my first funeral, I remember struggling desperately to find the words to bring to comfort a mom and dad who lost their beautiful, beautiful, athletic young son. I don't know whether I performed any pastoral ministry or not to them. I can remember how they left the basketball hoop up on their driveway for years after that because it had the marks that their son had left from practicing there on the driveway. Guy and Marge, never forget them. This is my quilt. This is our quilt. To us, just a list of names? I don't think so. For Paul, he gives us this list. Aquila and Priscilla, he says, they risked their necks for me. There's Mary. He says, she worked hard. You know, she was the one who was there when everyone else had gone home. She was the one who always said, now you go on now. I'll put these things away. I'll pick up the papers. I'll put things away. I'll straighten up the chairs. You go home. I'll take care of these things. You're tired. Go on. Yes, Mary. But so are you. Paul, you go on now. You have to ride across a country on a jackass. I'll pick these things up. Mary worked hard, Paul says. Eponidas, my first convert in Asia. I didn't sleep that night, I think Paul could say, our first one to respond to the gospel. What a marvelous day that was. And there's Trophina and Trophosa. They were twins, you know. They always sat together there in church, dressed alike. One of them had a blemish on her cheek, but I never could remember which one had the blemish. And there was Rufus. Tell Rufus hello and tell his mother also hello because she was my mother too. Some women earn this title. You know, I can see Rufus's mother. She would always insist that Paul stay. Paul, uh, you just... You, you sit down here. She always wore a, a soiled apron. I can see that apron around her neck. Some women earn this title. Big and strong. Now, Paul, I have breakfast ready. Paul, but I must go. No, I don't care if you are an apostle. You got to eat. Tell my mother hello. God has made us social beings with the end in mind. Thank you. For fellowship and koinonia, for fellowship, exchange greetings like we do every Sunday morning here. Unburden your soul to a confident. When not here, they are missed. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> Just a few years ago, I attended a church, Higdon Church, down in southern Missouri. It's way back in the, in the woods, way off the highways and, and the back roads on Double N Road, Double N. Right at the end of the Sunday school lesson, they were planning the annual hayride. And um, they said, well, it's time for our annual hayride. How about next week? Well, we can't. We can't do it next week because Joe and Gretchen will not be here. They wouldn't do it unless everybody in that Sunday school class could attend. 
One fellow said, well, I got a hay rack. I ain't got no hay. Another fellow said, well, I got some hay. Well, where are we going to go? Well, we'll start down here at the Castor River. We'll run up here around Double J Road and around the pond and back to the church and have our winter roast. Well, what if it rains? Well, we'll just have it here at the church. You know, in less than a minute, those folks formed a committee, planned all the details of that hayride just like that. Now, it was backwoodsy, and some people say, you know, I, I, can't, I can't relate to that. Folks, that's just the kind of people, the backwoods people, the people of the earth, the Amhar Aretz, they're called in the New Testament in Hebrew, the people of the earth. These were the people that comprised Jesus' following. And he, they were the kind he invited through his door, just like those folks. This text is not a list. <clears throat> there is a uh, place in Washington, D.C. I've been to Washington, D.C. several times. They simply call it the wall. It's uh, an interesting place. It's got quite a few names on it. Um, just before I, I go to the wall, and I've been there several times, but I always, first of all, I go to the Lincoln Monument. I think it's some, one of the most beautiful structures in America, not just because I'm from Lincoln, Illinois, but it's a beautiful, beautiful structure in Washington, D.C., those massive Doric columns, and I always go up there, and on the left-hand wall, many of you have been there and seen it, is the Gettysburg Address, but over on the right-hand wall is Lincoln's second inaugural, and I always stop and read it. I think it is a masterpiece of rhetoric. It ends with these memorable words, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work that we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan. And then there's a walkway, paved walkway, down to the wall. And this is a, a picture of the wall. It's lighted, polished marble, 248 feet of black marble slabs imported from India. There are 58,248 na names on that wall. 1,200 Mias missing in action and POWs, prisoners of war. But don't call it a list. I've seen... Soldiers in uniform go up to that wall and put their head against it and pray. I've seen tears at that wall. I've seen little clusters of bouquets and flowers at the base of some of those columns of names. And some are making rubbings to keep as treasures. Every single name on that wall, every man and woman on that wall made a covenant, signed it, kissed a family goodbye, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, a, a wife, a husband, and went off to serve the fatherland. It's not just a list. Not to many people. These names are special to Paul. They say hello, but maybe to some of them they say goodbye. Because before he gets to Rome, he's got to go to Jerusalem with an offering, and 
He faces there the danger of imprisonment. Paul was in prison four times, maybe as many as seven times. You talk about the Department of Corrections today. Paul would have been in prison how many times? Is that guy in and out of prison? Yeah, for the sake of the Lord. And so ends Romans 15. Romans 15 ends with these words. Strive, he says, agonize with me in prayer for rescue from hostile Judeans. Enemies await in Jerusalem. Pray that the Christians will receive the money when I get there to give it to them and that I will be able to come to Rome. Pray. These are not just names. You can take out a piece of paper and a pencil right now, can't you? And start writing down the names of some of those people whose paths you have crossed in your Christian pilgrimage who have blessed your life. I thank God, Paul says, for all my remembrance of you. And then you write down a name. And you remember that face and another name and another. Names and memories of folks who have blessed you. Fred Craddock has a sermon on this very passage. And he describes an experience that he had uh, an Easter years ago. He said there's a church there uh, over in eastern Tennessee. Every Easter, uh, they would have the same thing. They would have the, the morning service, and in the afternoon, they would leave and go down uh, to the lake. And uh, they would have a picnic and a kind of celebration there uh, of fellowship at the lakeside. And then come evening, they would light a bonfire, and he said they would gather it was an annual ritual. They would gather in a circle around that campfire. And he said, uh, those who were new in Christ, who had just been baptized, would be in the inner circle there. And uh, he said, <clears throat> they would go around the circle, and each one in the outer circle would go like this. My name is so-and-so. If you ever need someone to wash and iron... You get a hold of me. My name is so-and-so. If you ever need anyone to chop wood, get in touch with me. My name is so-and-so. If you ever need anyone to babysit for you, let me know. If you ever need someone to come and sit with the sick, let me know. If you never need somebody to come and repair your house, you call on me, will you? If you ever need someone to uh, take you uh, in car to go to town, you give me a call. Then he said they have a, a big square dance around the fire. And then someone will say, well, it's about time to go. And people begin to leave. And he said one fellow there with bibbed overalls and big work boots on, he walked over, and with that boot he kicked sand on the fire and put it out. And Craddock said, uh, he said, I, I kind of stayed around there with that fellow and watched him put out the fire. And when he put out the fire, he turned around to me and he said, Craddock, folks don't ever get closer to one another than this. And Craddock said, you know, they have a term for that church, for that place over in East Tennessee. You know what they call it? They call it church. It's what Jesus wanted it to be. 
He knew it could change a marriage, a family, a culture, a community, a nation. You have names on that list. You keep that list. And if you ever have to leave, take it wherever you go. One day, my responsibilities to you as a preacher and you as a congregation will be ended. But some of your names and your faces and your stories, I will take with me. And as long as I live, I will never forget. A moment shared across the table, a story, some experience in your life, something that you had just gone through or were going through at the time. You don't forget such memories. And every time I think of that, it will give me pause to thank God for every remembrance of you. Then comes a sobering passage at the end of the Bible. There's what's called the Lamb's Book of Life at the end of the Bible. Revelation 20 said, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. And no day... uh, And no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just a list. Revelation 21, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, And books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done as accorded in the books. Uh, The sea gave up the dead and the death and Hades, the grave, gave up their dead. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The Lamb's Book of Life. We used to sing a hymn that I loved. It was, uh, it, it has verses that go like this. Lord, I care not for riches, neither silver nor gold. I would make sure of heaven. I would enter the fold. In the book of thy kingdom, with its pages so fair, tell me, Jesus, my Savior, is my name written there? Is my name written there on the pages, white and fair, in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? And then another verse. Lord, my sins, they are many like the sands of the sea, but the blood of my Savior is sufficient for me. For your promise is written in letters that glow, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them like snow. Is my name written there on the page, white and fair, in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? In the beautiful city with its mansions of light, with its glorified beings in garments of white, where no evil thing comes to despoil what is fair, where the angels are watching, yes, my name's written there. The Lamb's book of life. I hope I'm there for that roll call, and I'm sure you do too. Is that just a list? (laughs) In the Lamb's Book of Life, it's more than a list.
so much more. And to get your name written there, you uh, have to acknowledge your belief that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. That's pretty big. It's very important. He's the Messiah. And then embrace him. Take him into your heart. Say, live inside of me, Lord Jesus. Let me be an example of what you want your people to be like. And then you are immersed into Christ. That's where you come into contact with his blood that cleanses. Washes you clean forever. Fits you to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So if you haven't made that decision, it's invitation time. You step forward and you come. If not, celebrate this moment and give thanks that your name is written there, standing together as we sing.